0: Well, if you are visiting with us for the first time, we are walking through the book of Galatians this summer, and we have been in it for just a few weeks now. Um, And and the letter to the Galatians is actually a, a letter written by Paul, the apostle to the church in Galatia, and it's on the matter of living a life in the gospel, You see, at the very beginning, we learned that the Galatians had received the word of God, this gospel of God, by faith. And Paul is surprised that somehow they have turned away from what it is that they first believed. That is, that they were only justified, that is, that they came to salvation by faith in Jesus Christ. But somehow now they are believing that it is in their own work of the flesh that they are going to continue to be saved. That everything that God started in them by the Spirit is going to be brought to completion in their own works. That somehow they now believe that they can attain their own righteousness by doing certain things that will please man and please God. And so Paul is challenging them to say, what is it that you have come to believe? This is not the gospel that you believed at first. And so along the way, we've been challenged by this letter so far to know what is the gospel ourselves. What is the gospel explicitly? What precisely is it that Jesus came to do? That is, he came to save us by his work. Not ours. And we came to see that the gospel is a gift of grace. That is something that we cannot earn through works of our own. But that is freely given to us. That this gospel unifies us as one church body. That whether we are here in Griffin or on the other side of the globe. We all believe this gospel to be true. It is what unites us. We've been challenged to check what is false. The things that we've come to believe about the gospel that aren't gospel at all. And how we end up exemplifying this gospel before others. How we can display it to others and our neighbors. And how this gospel continues to grow us, push us toward more. And so today as we open our Bibles to Galatians chapter 3 verses 15 through 25 which can be found in your pew Bibles on page 1014, we're going to be asking one of the most important questions when it comes to our faith. One that we've all probably asked at some point or another, maybe not even realizing that we have thought it and asked it of ourselves. So what do we do with the law? If this gospel has come, then what purpose does the law now serve? How do I respond to the law when I have received the gospel of grace? And so Paul tackles that in today's passage. And so if you will follow along with me in Galatians chapter 3, verses 15 through 25. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everyone under sin. So that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law. Imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came. In order that we might be justified by faith. And now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. Let's pray. God, as we hear these words this morning, let them enlighten our hearts as to who you are. What it is that this law is, Lord. How we are supposed to see it and respond to it. God, that your Holy Spirit would come and give us life where the law can give none. But where the law still stands, let us see it for what it is. And so Lord, make much of yourself today in the hearing of your word. And make very little of me. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well growing up, um, and I'm not sure about you, but I definitely know about me, is that I was grounded more than anybody I know. I mean, it seemed to be every other week I would be grounded for one thing or another for something that I was disobedient towards. I would be grounded from television, I would be grounded from video games or from going outside and playing with friends or for going to the pool during the summers. And one of the worst sentences to be grounded toward would be toward, for my room for a period of time. And oftentimes I feel like it was for weeks at a time I would just be grounded. But, you know, children have different time frames than adults. And so what I sure felt like a week was probably only a day. Here's the thing, I didn't necessarily think that I was a bad kid. I just got grounded a lot. I didn't really understand what it was. But at the most basic principle, my parents had rules and I was supposed to follow them. I was supposed to put my dishes away after dinner when they asked. I shouldn't leave them in the sink dirty but put them into the dishwasher. I shouldn't be fighting with my sister who was four years younger with me. I shouldn't be doing Anything that would make her upset or, or pick on her or, or fight with her, th- those weren't good things either. But honestly, more than anything that got me grounded, I can remember one, one particular thing. It was, it was my mouth. My mouth got me grounded more times than I can even begin to imagine. And you see, here's the thing, the one thing that I loved the most when it came to my mouthiness was I loved to talk back. It was just such an enriching thing to speak back to my parents. If I wasn't told once, I was told again and again and again how much my mouth got me into trouble. But that's just it. These rules that my parents gave, they served a purpose. You see, I didn't think that I was a bad kid, but if I wasn't so disobedient, then I wouldn't constantly be grounded. I wouldn't constantly end up in my room. I wouldn't constantly be told that I shouldn't do these things. And it's my hope that you can relate to me in some way shape or form. I mean the truth is that we've all been kids right. We all grew up under our parents and they were teaching us things and they made rules for us that we were supposed to follow. Maybe your rules were similar to mine and You shouldn't talk back and you shouldn't be mouthy and you should put your dishes away and or maybe you should do your chores in a timely manner and you just never did them. Maybe you constantly got in fights, whether it was with your mouths or maybe it was with your fists. I don't know. Maybe you were that kind of person But over and over again, we would constantly break the rules that our parents had put in place. We would do the things, the very things that we shouldn't do, we ended up doing. And no matter how many times that we got in trouble for them, it wouldn't be but a week later that we would do them again. Am I right? I know one of the things that I loved to do was scream and slam doors. (laughs) That was never a good thing in my house. But somewhere along the way... Growing up, all of us have broken the rules. And for those that are parents, you also understand from the other side of the equation now that you put these rules in place for your children to follow, and then they would break them and break them and break them. And you kept wondering, are they ever going to not break the rules? I put these rules in place, right? As parents, we put these rules in place to teach them to teach them good things, to teach them good character, for them to live a full and good life. But then there's this other thing that happens somewhere along the way. At some point in our lives, we stop breaking the rules. At least I know I did. I mean, maybe you still like to break the rules. But at some point in my life, I entered in this place where I don't know if it was middle school or high school. I can't put a date on it. But I kind of stopped getting into trouble. I stopped being grounded. I stopped having things taken away from me. I started kind of following these rules that my parents had set into place. And it wasn't because I didn't want to be in trouble anymore. It wasn't because I was sick of being grounded, although I'm sure subconsciously maybe that was a part of it. But it was simply that at some point I realized, oh, no, these rules, they're a good thing. There's something that my parents gave to to grow me and to develop me, to to teach me right from wrong. And so I just wanted to follow them. I wanted to do what was right, not because a punishment or a salvation was attached to it, but simply because it was the right thing to do. I I wanted to have good character. I wanted to live a life in the way that my parents were trying to raise me. And hopefully you too came to that same conclusion at some point in your life. That it was just good to follow the rules that your parents had put into place. And you started to live by them. And you too grew and matured into a person of good character. Into a person full of life. And you see, today's scripture is kind of about that too. It's about what is this law that God has given, and how are we supposed to respond to it? Especially now that we have received the gospel of grace. What does it mean for us right now? What, what do we do with the law of God that we find in Scripture? And so today we're actually going to pick up right where we left off in Galatians. You see, Paul has just accused the Galatians of being bewitched away from the gospel of truth. That is that there were forces at work pulling them and turning them away from the thing that it is that they believed at first. No longer did they believe that they were justified by their faith in Jesus Christ, but that they must work for their righteousness and their salvation. And that that same work is at work with, or that same force is at work within our lives. That is that the enemy, and I said this, came to kill, steal, and destroy the joy of our salvation. That is the very justification that we received in Jesus is trying to be ripped away by the enemy by getting us to believe that we now actually have to do something To receive that righteousness and salvation that we had at first. And so we have to constantly be on guard against this work of the enemy. Just as David had to be on guard against it. When he talked about receiving the joy of his salvation. That it would be restored within him. That we too would have that joy restored within us. And so the way that Paul taught this to the Galatians is he kind of followed the Abraham story, the story of Abraham, the father of our faith, and how his faith was counted to him as righteousness, displaying that the faith that we have is directly linked to Abraham. So whether we are Jew or Gentile, all may come to believe God, not just believe in him. But then... We turn in today's passage, and it seems that Paul is taking a turn away from what it was that he was describing at first, how the Galatians were bewitched. But today, as he turns to the law, I don't know that it's entirely off topic, because it is by the law that the enemy ends up bewitching us. This is what I mean. You see, I also said last week that in Matthew chapter 4, and actually, I think I said chapter 5 last week, but it's. Matthew chapter 4, Jesus went into the wilderness and was tempted by Satan. But what, how, did t- how did Satan tempt Jesus? Well, he used the law. He used the scriptures to tempt Jesus out of his identity. And in the same way, the enemy uses the law to tempt us into believing that we have to work for our righteousness and salvation. And so Paul says, well, now that I've told you how you're being bewitched, let me now share with you what it is that the law's purpose actually is. What does it serve you now that you have come to believe the gospel of grace? And so just like how at the beginning of this series, we talked about how we need to know the gospel, what it is, so that we can know what it's not. And in the same way, we have to know what the law is, so that we can know what it is not. And so in our passage today, Paul starts by talking about this covenant that God made with Abraham and how the law then came 430 years later. And so as we dig into this, I want to first address what is covenant. This is a word that is constantly used in our faith. It's one that we believe fully and completely that God made covenants with man, starting with Adam, then on to Abraham, and then the M- Moses, and then David, and then the new covenant in Jesus Christ. But what does it mean? What does this word covenant mean? And quite simply, to use some modern day language, it means a contract, right? A contract is something that we would sign in order to say, like, we are agreeing for this exchange of goods or services Right? That is what a contract is made between two or more parties. But you see, in the time of Abraham, a covenant was just a little bit different. It wasn't done with pen and paper or a tablet of stone and a chisel and hammer. That's not how a covenant was made. That's not how contracts were cut. Instead, it was done with animals. You see... In order to create a covenant with somebody, you would gather some animals together and then you would cut those animals in half. And then the parties would walk between the halves of the animals. So there would be one part of animal here and another part there. And both parties would walk through the animals that had been cut. And you see, here's what this represented. It represented that... If either one of us should break our covenant with one another, then let what has been done to these animals be done to us. That is to say, a covenant was so important that if one party was to break it, then they should have their life taken from them. They should be cut in half, just like the animals. That is the idea of covenant. In the Old Testament. But hear these words in Genesis chapter 15. And God brought Abraham outside and said. Look toward heaven. And number the stars. If you are able to number them. Then he said to him. So shall your offspring be. And Abraham believed the Lord. And the Lord counted it to him as righteousness. And the Lord said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord, how am I supposed to know that I shall possess it? And God said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, and a ram three years old, a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And Abraham brought all of these and then he cut them in half and laid them each half over against the other and when the sun had gone down and it was dark behold a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces and on that day the lord made a covenant with abraham here's one of the things that i want us to catch in here as we're talking about covenant You see, when God made this covenant with Abraham, and I told you that it's when two parties walk through the cut pieces that a covenant is established. But here in this scripture, we learn Abraham never walked through the pieces. Only God did. So what does that mean? That God alone is responsible for keeping covenant. God alone is responsible for keeping the promise. There is nothing that Abraham could do in order to allow God's promises to be fulfilled. God was going to fulfill them regardless. Even if Abraham tried to walk away from God. Which we actually see throughout Genesis many times where Abraham was disobedient. But did God ever turn his back on him? No. How do we know that? Because we are here gathered together. The promise of God was fulfilled. That is that Abraham would be blessed to be a blessing to the nations. And that through his offspring we would be blessed. Which Paul tells us in verse 16. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say and to offsprings referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. And then Paul continues in verse 17, and this is what I mean, that the law which came 430 years afterward does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God, so as to make the promise void. So really plainly, the covenant that God made with Abraham was a promise to be kept alone by God. And therefore, the law that came 430 years after that covenant was made does not nullify or make void the covenant that God made. The law cannot remove the promises of God. And that's good news for us. Then in the midst of anything and everything that we could possibly do to be disobedient to God, the law cannot remove God's promises from us. It cannot remove what God is already doing. And so then what is the purpose of the law? Why did God even establish it if he had already made a promise? Paul tells us in verse 19, well then why then the law? It was added because of transgressions that until the offspring should come, that is Jesus, to whom the promise had been made. So, what does Paul mean by added because of transgressions? He clarifies in verses 23 through 25. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then, the law was under our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So what does this mean? What does this mean? It means that Paul is saying that the law was established to reveal one thing. It was to reveal that we were sinners. It was to reveal to us that we have transgressions, that we are full of iniquity, that sin exists within the world and it exists within each and every one of us. The law became our guardian. And that that word in the Hebrew actually means two things. First, it reveals to us that we are imprisoned. A guardian as in somebody that stands guard over a prison cell. We were imprisoned to our sin. None could perfectly keep the law. And therefore, no one could be justified by it. But also, guardian can also have this other meaning. Meaning tutor or teacher. So, all, so as the law was a guardian, imprisoning us to our sin and reminding us constantly that we are sinners, it also was a teacher to show us that sin is something that must be overcome. But that there must be another way to do so. The law taught us. That we are both imprisoned to our sin. But that we also must be set free from it. So the law for us as believers in Christ Jesus. Following in the way. Passed down by the inheritance from Abraham. Shows us then how we should live. Not in order that we would be justified. But because we want to return to God. What he has so graciously given to us. Free from being obedient. Placing this into the kind of the context of the story at the beginning. You see, remember that we have these rules that our parents set for us. There were rules that when we were children... We would obey out of this fear of punishment, out of this need for quote unquote salvation. We had to obey the rules that our parents set forth in order to live free. But simply, we realized that we couldn't always keep them perfectly. We would never keep them perfectly as children. But as we matured, we came to the realization realization in maturity that these rules had purpose, that they served a, a purpose for our lives to teach us right and wrong. And just like the law of God, teaching us from right and wrong, but in Christ Jesus, no longer is the law something that we look at and that we feel we have to keep and adhere to in order to please God. But instead, it is something that we do because we love God. In fact, in Jeremiah 31, 33, God says it like this for the new covenant. That is the covenant in Jesus. He says, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I'll put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. See, the law is no longer this external guardian keeping us prisoners to our sin. But instead, it becomes an internal adherence in response to the love of a gracious father. We now keep the law no longer because we fear punishment. But because we love what God has done for us. And that's how Paul wants the Galatians to respond. And how we too should respond. In Romans, Paul even asked the question, Just because I have been given grace, do I go on sinning? Certainly not. Why? Why? Because we love God, the gospel of grace teaches us how in God's kindness towards us, we respond by obedience to him. Not because we earn anything by it, but simply because God is good. And I want to do right by what he has done for me. So how will you choose to live? You see, the law is not something that we are any longer imprisoned to. It does not give life. Only Jesus does that. Actually, last week I read the first part of John 10.10, in which we saw how the enemy, through trying to get us to do works for righteousness, came only to steal, kill, and destroy that which God was trying to establish. But the second half of that verse is Jesus speaking, he says, but I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. The law doesn't bring us life, but Jesus does. And so when we choose to live for the gospel and we put the law in its proper place, then we have life abundantly, no longer ensnared by the purpose of the law Toward works, but toward the purpose of the law, towards love. That Jesus came that we would be free to live apart from the law while knowing that the law points us continually to the promise of Jesus. Knowing that we can't keep it perfectly in our own work, but in Him, in Him, and through Him, we have all that we need. And therefore, by His Spirit, we grow. And so we have to each ask ourselves that constant question, why am I obeying the law of God today? Am I doing it to earn something from God? Or am I living by it because I love him? When we live our life out of a love for God and we abide by that that law in the freedom of Christ and by the power of the Spirit, we're going to find that we live a life much more enriched, a life full of faith and favor, full of that blessing that was promised to Abraham is also promised to us. And what if we then in turn share our life with our neighbors in that same way, in a manner speaking that no longer do our neighbors feel that like to be a Christian means to be stiff for the frozen chosen. But people that are Full of love and grace, knowing that I follow the law not because I have to, but simply because I want to. Because I love God and I love what he did for me. Let's pray. Good and gracious God, we thank you. We thank you that you are moving and working in our hearts and our lives continually to display for us what it is that this gospel has done for us more so what it did with Jesus on the cross, his death and his resurrection, giving us life and life abundant. Lord, continue to work by the power of your Holy Spirit within us that the work that you began in us, you would bring to completion, that we wouldn't do it in and of ourselves, in our own strength, in our own flesh. Lord, we love you and we thank you. In your holy and precious name we pray. Amen.